Hey, it's Josiah. Before we get started with this episode, I have something very special to share with you. You know, we've delved deep into what it means to be an Enneagram 5 together for the past few years, especially with our friend of the show, Sam Greenberg, or as many of you know her, the Enneagram expert. And now we want to go even deeper with you. We've worked together with Sam to craft an online workshop exclusively for type 5s to help you unlock the secrets of connection with every Enneagram type. This is not just another generic workshop. It's a deep dive into understanding and nurturing relationships tailored specifically for your unique perspective. Imagine getting practical, actionable insights on connecting with each of the nine Enneagram types all through the lens of a type five. Sam's going to guide you on how to build meaningful relationships, sharing strategies and insights specifically designed for fives. I've seen firsthand how Sam's insights can transform understanding and communication. And I'm so excited to partner with her to bring this exclusive workshop to you. Whether you're looking to deepen current relationships or navigate new ones, this workshop is a game changer for fives seeking genuine connection. Spots are limited, and trust me, you don't want to miss this. So head over to Enneagram5.com connection to secure your place and begin your journey towards richer, more authentic connections. Once again, go to Enneagram5.com connection or visit the link in the description to get your ticket to the workshop today. So there's this quote, I believe, by Picasso, or at least it's attributed to him on the internet. And it says, every act of creation is first an act of destruction. And I feel like that perfectly sums up our approach to creativity as a five. Yeah, I love blowing things up. So I I was thinking about this, you know, because you and I have our own sort of approaches and and thoughts on creativity and our own outlets and all of that. But at the same time, we also like to approach it in the same general way where as a five, one of our gifts is we are so good at taking something and breaking it down into pieces and just deconstructing everything. Right. And that's why I love that Picasso quote, because that's how we create. And that's what fuels our creativity. And I don't know if that's the same for all fives, but I know that that's, that's a tool that we have and it's a fun tool and it's, it's yeah. a pretty effective tool as well, but there's a downside to it. And so we're going to get into both of those things, <laughs> the, the good and the bad of using this tool of deconstructing in order to create. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Okay, so first let's start with the dark side of this tool that we have, which is that because we are so good at deconstructing things, we also are really good at thinking through all the ways in which something can fail mm. and also questioning the meaning of everything. Yes. And if we go too far with this and we get stuck in this place, everything becomes meaningless and we have no reason to actually follow through on the creative ideas that we have. 
And, right. And I know that I went through a very long period of my life where that was a case for me, where I was kind of just stuck in this place where I wasn't doing anything creative. And that was sort of what was the foundation for all of that. That's kind of was the stories I was telling myself that were holding me back from doing any creative work. And so we can definitely get into that. I wanted to first, because I know you went through a similar period. I wanted to ask you about that. And so when in, when in your life have you gotten into a rut creatively and what, what was the cause of that? You mean all the time? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you're not as much in a rut now. Well, it's, and I think that that's, we can get into that at some point, but I feel like part of that is too that I, it's easy to get, I think it's more about discipline and that's something that I've learned over time. I think that I live and exist in the rut if I don't pay attention and I see where I'm going, where, what path I'm going down. I just keep going in that direction without realizing it. And also too, I mean, yeah, it's hard to, I don't know. It's, it's especially with, with the six wing, I think it's really hard for me to not have an existential crisis every time I try to create something with both with anxiety and just nihilism, <laughs> just attacking <laughs> it from all angles, like it's a fortress and I'm just coming from every direction. And it's everything that all of my insecurities, everything that I've ever done, and I'll get into my story, I guess, in a minute, but I've just done so many things and they all got me where I am. But at the time felt like a series of failures or dead ends and mm. I was constantly starting over. And so it's hard for all of that to not constantly be telling me this narrative over and over again, every time I try to create something new again. And so I think that's been a really big challenge for me. And so I kind of go through a cycle. And then of course, it depends on emotionally what emotional cycle I'm in. If I'm anywhere near uh, a depressive state or even a manic state, sometimes it's so hard to create anything that I just get too bogged down and too overwhelmed and I close off and want to go to bed for two days. <laughs> so I think it still happens all the time. I just think that I've learned better coping mechanisms that are healthier and help me get out of it a little bit better. So, but I, it, it still happens regularly. I have to fight it all the time. You never really overcome that. When, when were you at your worst with it? Do you think? When was I at my worst? Actually, I would say what comes to mind without really thinking about it, I would say this whole last pandemic year, I didn't create anything. I didn't do anything yeah, all year true. long. It was the longest stint of time in my life where I didn't play any gigs. I didn't write any songs. I didn't write anything. I didn't create anything really. It was just living in a desert land of creativity for a full year. I mean, over a year, just about until about this past February. So it's, it, it was just one of those things where I didn't really... I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I was stuck in this rut of going to work and coming home and going to work and coming home and also living in a constant state of anxiety and stress from the world and everything going on around me. And that's just not even remotely conducive to creativity on a natural level. What mm -hmm. I found was with a little bit of discipline and direction, I can overcome that and create space for that. But yeah, no, I'd say this past year was probably my worst time creatively. But how do you get from being in that rut to even like wanting to get some discipline? I didn't want to hit. So I didn't know that I didn't know the answer was discipline when I uh, got, when I fell okay. into it. Okay. <clears throat> so I want, I spent all year last year wanting to be creative and having the desire to be creative. But every time I try to sit down, nothing would come out. I couldn't really do it. I mean, I tried to write songs last year, but nothing would ever stick. I couldn't finish it. I tried to do, 
a few different ideas that just never came to fruition. So, and it wasn't until one of my old friends who's a songwriter invited me to be a part of this thing they call Febby Writers, where a bunch of songwriters from all over get together, usually in person, but not this year. And the goal is to write a song a day for an entire month. No matter what it is, it has to be a certain amount of time and it has to theoretically have a verse and a chorus, but you have to record it. And even if it's on a voice memo and post it online on, they set up like a band camp that you can, you can find um, where all of, was this when you wrote the, the song about your three-legged dog? Yes. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. So, yeah. And so I fully expected to take a bunch of cop outs to have to like come up with something random, not really sing about anything and do a bunch of things. And to be fair, I, a lot happened in the month where I ended up not being able to complete it really. You know, I moved, I got really sick. There was a few things that got in the way of me not being able to sing and write and do things. But, but in the first eight days I wrote eight songs and that was more songs than I'd written in years at a time. And not all of them were great. That's and but I, what I there was a lot that I learned from that process, which was I took that opportunity to challenge myself and to say, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I don't care what it is. I don't know what. I don't care what happens. I'm taking my own ego and my own insecurities out of the way on this. I know that I want to do this, and one way or another, there's going to be however many tracks, right? So I did that, and what I found was after the first day, I started the first day, and I kind of had an idea ahead of time. I kind of cheated in my mind. I had an idea of what I wanted to write the next day or whatever. So, but I didn't start working on it till the day of, and I, of course, I have to you have to work every day and everything. So throughout the day, I'm like humming melodies and thinking about things in my head, and then as soon as I would get home. I immediately sat down, started with the guitar, figuring out chords. I was like, okay, four chords. I like these chords. This will work. And started writing out tight lyrics and everything. And by, <laughs> to be fair, most of them came right around midnight that I was posting them. But I was recording them, like getting on Logic on my computer, actually rec- trying to record at least a, a fairly decent. But I also took this opportunity kind of on the side, unofficially, to kind of learn get better at logic and get better at MIDI instruments and stuff too. So I took that opportunity to do that and just kind of started having fun with it and trying different styles of music and things like that. And it was, it, what happened was after the first day, I found that it was a lot easier than I thought it was because of the constraints. And because of the constraints, it creates this automatic discipline where you're like, I have, here's my bookends. I have to do something between this period of time. And because of that reason, it put a pressure on me that i really needed and thrived on or thrived in. And I just started pumping out songs and it was crazy. And at least two of them, I actually considered some of the best songs I've ever written in my life. (laughs) Um, One of them I wrote um, about being wanting to be a weatherman as a kid, which is referenced in one of the past episodes. And so, and I did that. It was right after we recorded that episode that I was thinking about that and that was in my mind. And when I sat down, I was like, oh, that would be such a good song to talk about what wanting to be a kid from a kid wanting to be a weatherman. How could that affect my life now? And I just ran with it and I wrote it in like an hour. And so, but that was way on, that was like the sixth or seventh song. So I had written a bunch of songs before that. So what I found was I was taking my breaks at work. And I also, to be fair, I found an app too that is like for rhyming. So when you start typing lines, it highlights the rhymes. And so you can actually like kind of structure it out visually and it gives you prompts at the bottom on what you should or shouldn't like what some options that you could do. And I didn't always use the prompts. I didn't always do any of that stuff. But what I found was, is it would get me thinking about, Oh man, 
that's a cool word. How can I make this work in this line? And it would just take me in directions. And before I knew it, I would have an entire song of lyrics on my lunch break. And so when I got home, I've got a head start because all I have to do is figure out music to this. Oh, that's awesome. And so it ended up being really cool. And it completely revolutionized my process, which is having that discipline and those constraints. And I actually, to be fair, I haven't even practiced that since then, except for with the podcast. And so when getting into the podcast, I have all these constraints of, okay, we need these songs and these things at this amount of time, or I have this long to edit this episode and I need music behind different parts of it. And so how do I sit down and come up with something immediately? And what I've found is what I've taken from that process and kind of carried along through all of it. And what has the consistency there is that sitting down and not caring about what the outcome is and just mm. saying, I'm going to, my hands are going to hit these keys on this on this keyboard and I'm just going to go with it. And whatever happens happens. And if I hate it, then whatever, I'll move on. But I'm going to at least get like a basic track of keys, bass, drums, and see if I like it. If I don't like it, move on and do something else. But I can you come back and use that idea later. Like there's so many things that come out of that. So many rewards you get from just trying and not being afraid of if it's going to suck or not, or if it's going to fail. And that's, that was completely, it took me 34 years to get to the idea, the point, or I guess, well, not 34 years, but 20 something years of playing music and creating and writing where it took me that long to realize all it took was not being afraid of what the outcome is going to be. I love being creative um, as a five. I write a lot of stories and I do a lot of world building. I enjoy researching. Researching is one of my passions and it helps me come up with new ideas for my characters and new ideas for the worlds that I build. I think having a strong research background and a strong research bent helps my writing tremendously. It really helps me enjoy what I do. There's this experiment that I heard of, and I haven't looked this up, so nobody fact check me on this one. (laughs) It was an experiment where they took a pottery class and across the whole semester, they split the class in two. Mm -hmm. And they said, this half, you're going to focus on quality. You're going to pick one thing and you're just going to work on it all semester long until you've made it the best possible version of it that you could make. Mm -hmm. And then this half, you're going to focus on quantity. You're just going to turn something out every single class and then at the end of the semester we're going to figure like pick the best one that you did and compare compare it and so when they compared the two groups by far the quantity group won Hmm. because it's just a matter of that process like every time they do it they're refining their process right and it's the process that is is the bulk of the creative work Mm -hmm. and so i i love that yeah it took you 34 years to figure that out but you know, you are, I can see that at work mm-hmm. and what we're doing now with the podcast and with other things that you're doing. And, um, like that's, that's awesome. That's an investment that pays dividends. Right. Yeah. And there's so many great books out there too. Like years ago when I first moved to Nashville, when was that? 2015, I think. I think so. I, I was at that time. I remember I was reading a book called the war of art mm. and it's, That entire book, which, by the way, is written for creatives because every chapter is a page. 
Is it really? I didn't, I haven't read it. Yeah. No, no, most creatives don't want to read a book. (laughs) It's really hard for them to get through it. And in a weird way you fly, like I can read this book in a day and it's, it's not, it's, it's not a long book, but it's uh, not a short book either. It's kind of medium, but because of the way it's broken up. So I was reading the war of art and I, I remember sitting in my favorite coffee shop in Nashville. I didn't know it was going to be my favorite at the time. Are you talking about crema? I'm talking about crema. I remember reading that book then and thinking, this stuff is awesome. It's talking about discipline and it's talking about just not being afraid of the outcome and just doing it. And it, but it talks about it's what's cool about that book though, that I love and still love. I think my mom stole my copy of it and never gave it back. So <laughs> I, um, I think Amy has a copy. I need to read it. Really? Oh yeah. yeah you definitely should read it. I was going to buy another one actually, just so I could not have to bug her about it. And because I just want to have it on hand at all times. Cause it's so great to just sit down and, and just read a few pa- pages. So the, it's so cool how it's broken up. The first half is about identifying and personifying the fear of what's going to happen and how to like not identify that fear. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, he personifies it almost like demon-like, but not like a, it's the monster under the bed, right? This thing that's inside of you that doesn't want you to create. And, ha- and then the whole second half is how do you overcome that thing? Mm-hmm. And it it's so simplistic. It's so basic and, but genius in that way. And I love it. I think that that book was the beginning of me going, hey, and starting to think about it and say, hey, maybe the way I've always done it is not the right way where I didn't do anything. <laughs> maybe trying to actually sit down and think through the process is more important than what actually comes out of the process. And so I started getting that back then, but it, of course, events happen in life and I forget about it. And so being in the place that I've been, the pandemic in a weird way helped with that and gave me the space and the uh, the distance away from anything creative for me to be able to say, Hey, this, I I think I want to come back to this, but I don't want to do it the way that I've always done it. I want to do it different. And being invited into that process with the Fibby writers thing that we did just completely changed my entire outlook on everything. And so now if I'm going to sit down and record something, I do it completely different. I do it in a way that is not judging myself and ripping myself apart before I get started. I sit down and go and try really, really hard to not plan it, not think about it ahead of time, no ideas, sit down, just see what happens. And Mm. it's completely changed everything. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really curious when you were in the dark place, Mm -hmm. the upside down, (laughs) (laughs) when you're there, what are you, what is that experience like for you? What are you feeling? What are some of the things that you're telling yourself? Oh, that the classics, you know, just the the reruns of all the classics. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to amount to anything. What's the Mm -hmm. point in doing this? If it doesn't, if it's not worth enough, if it doesn't change enough, if I'm not changing lives with what I'm creating, then why is it, why does it need to exist? What am I bringing to the table by creating something? Am I improving the world? Am I making it worse? Am I, and the thing about it is if I was doing, if I was doing either one of those things, it might consider, it might be worth it. Even if it's making the world worse, because at least it's doing something. Yeah, it's having some kind of impact. But if there's no impact, that's actually yeah. the worst thing. And so mm-hmm. that's for me, that's been that's always the, the hard thing for me to overcome and try to come to grips with is that. And it was the hardest thing to realize is that being creative and creating something just for the sake of creating something is actually the secret to getting out of the dark place. But that was something that it mean, and even now when I'm in that place, it's hard for me to remember that. And it's easy to get caught up in the the loop of the, you're not good enough. What are you doing? This is, why are you wasting your time with this? Go work in a factory. Whatever the thing is that, that helps you survive. I, it's so hard for me to, I, in my mind, survivalist mode and creative mode, like creativity is a luxury. 
and survivalist mode is what I lean into the most because of you got to pay bills, you got to not end up on the street. <laughs> and so it's it in and, and that's also a I guess in many ways that's a story and that's an insecurity too because my creative endeavors have never paid the bills. So mm-hmm. my mind separates those two things and automatically says, okay, well, to, to to do the creative things, you have to create space in your life by having enough money or having enough things in your and to be able to create that space because so it's a luxury. So you've got to do this first, and then you can do the thing you want. Right? To do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And in a way that's not procrastinating, but is logic. <laughs> so that's why it's really hard to argue with. Right. <laughs> um, and it's responsible. It's a responsible thing to do. Right. right? Yeah. It's practical. I personally think everyone is creative in their own way and those that don't think they are either don't give themselves enough credit or just have a bias towards their own ability. I've always been told that I'm in my head a lot, that I'm quiet, introspective and never have too much to share. But actually my mind is racing way too fast for me to keep up with and it's full of questions and half-baked ideas that never make it out into reality. And as fives, we don't like the and we don't like being useless, but we love learning. And it's a double-edged sword sometimes. And I didn't learn till later in life that I just had an ingrained interest in observation and seeking meaning, especially when it comes to behavior. And it's a balance between wanting to explore and breaking one thing down to see how it works. And as a five, I think my creativity lends itself to never truly seeing things for the way they are and instead looking at how things could be. Yeah, so I was in a I was in a very similar place for a long period of time in my life. I grew up singing, playing music. I did 7 years of show choir. So I was always musical growing mm-hmm. up like when my parents would drive us around, they would um sing and harmonize with each other and like, Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Partridge I, family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I have I have fond memories of that and I I was always interested in music and I was also always interested in film, TV, that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was creating like I, I remember and, and and this is part of it for me too, is and, and this is what took a long time to work through was the all of my creativity was the outlet for that was religious. And so growing up when I was creating like little movies and skits and things, it was for church. Mm-hmm. And when I was playing music, most of the time it was for church. Right. And I, I was so focused on that and, and pouring myself into that. And when I left the church or, or I guess when I would say I would, I started to become disenfranchised with the church. Right. My, my creativity was still tied to that. Mm-hmm. So I had that kind of going on. And then on the other side, I had, so I, in school, I got interested in web development and I started creating websites for like my professors and and different people. And then I got a job right out of school doing web development and documentary filmmaking for a nonprofit here in town. And that was, uh, so I was basically their creative department. Yeah. And, and, but it was also uh, religiously affiliated. So there was still in that, but I, I which is great because I learned a lot of things, but I also was coming up against as a creative, I want to do things my own way. <laughs> and this mm-hmm. was, this was an office full of like 
grant makers and IT people and very rigid structures. And right. it did not fit into that. And so I got this brilliant idea at 23, 24, somewhere around in there. Yeah. That I would leave and start my own business. I mean, you know everything you're going to need to know. I, I, in life, know, so. I knew everything. I, well, I did because I read the four hour work week. Oh, so that's all, so you I, to know. that's all I needed to know. And I convinced myself that I was going to start this web and video agency. And other people have done um, more with less. <laughs> so. I, I left. I left. I, I worked out the sweet deal where I convinced them to be my uh, first client on retainer. At the same amount I was getting in salary before. And they even gave me like a bonus when I left to help pay for some equipment. And wow. it was <laughs> it was a sweet deal. And I completely crashed and burned within six months. Um, <laughs> it was so bad. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And but part of that was there was this experience that I had. I, I was really into documentary filmmaking and was trying to like I, I even went out, they even paid for me to go to Duke University to their center for uh, documentary, like their center for documentary filmmaking that they have there. And mm -hmm. I did like this week long intensive and it was like, it was so cool because we came in on a Sunday and, and got our topics. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, do a little bit of research. Here's where you're going. We filmed a roll one day, we filmed B roll the next day, and then we did editing and then we showed it to a live audience on Saturday. So it was like, it was so intense and yeah. it was so cool. Right. And I got, I learned so much in that process. But one of the projects that I ended up working on in this setting as a freelancer for them, I, I worked with this director that I really respected and looked up to. And he had done some legit, like full length documentary films. Mm -hmm. And I, I had my own issues at the time. There was a lot of things going on with me, right? Health right. stuff that I didn't, wasn't aware of. There was just a general victim mentality and a lot of like unhealthy, you know, thought patterns and behaviors that I had. But I also, I was trying to, we went on this trip we, and filmed all this stuff and then came back and I was trying to work with him to put something together. And he was just not, not giving me any kind of clear, like feedback of what he needed or anything about anything I was doing. And I didn't know how to work through that. And then eventually what happened was they basically ended my contract and he told them I didn't have what it took to be a filmmaker. And that completely crushed me. Wow. And I walked away. I walked, I just walked away from it. Yeah. And I ended up taking a job and on the other side of the country, that's when we moved to Bellingham. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being the best thing for me in a lot of ways. My boss was ended up being this amazing mentor who helped me on a personal level and a professional level. And we're still really good friends to this day. But what changed for me in that was pretty much from that point on, I stopped doing anything creative and I, I grew up and got a real job. Right. And right. I didn't do anything other than work. I went to work. And that's all I did. And one, that's all I had energy for because of my health issues. But also I, I was defeated. I felt like I, I stepped out and failed hardcore. Yeah. And during the time where you were doing all the filmmaking stuff, I'm trying to remember chronologically, because this is also around the time we had a short stand of playing music together. Yeah. 
where we had our, our and our genius cover of Kiss Me Through the Phone. <laughs> yeah. And, where and, I rapped, everyone. I, I was the rapper in that song. I mean. It's a, you know. If you, if you want to call it that. Yeah. It, it was more of a parody of rapping. <laughs> but it was great. And I loved it. It and was a big hit. I feel like we did it at an open mic once, too. Probably. We did it a few times. Yeah. Uh, it was really fun, like, party trick to pull out of our back pocket. <laughs> but I think that was around this time, right? It was a little bit before that. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, the reason why I bring that up is because I remember just from my end seeing that place where you just kind of, you were such a creatively driven person who just mm-hmm. all of the sudden it was just a, sw- a switch yeah. flip. Right? Yeah. So you and I play, played Riverbend that summer mm-hmm. and that was the last time I played music for, I mean, I still haven't played music really. Riverbend is a gigantic local festival yeah. in our hometown. We should probably say. Yeah. It's for context there. So that was the last time that I played music and I went to, I remember we moved out to Bellingham and I intentionally, I mean, we didn't have much, we moved out there in a, in a Honda Civic, right? So we didn't have much room. We left oh, some stuff here. Man, and, that Honda Civic, <laughs> yeah. so small. I don't know. I never understood. That was a, a wild magic trick that's, how you fit everything a, in there. That is a story for another time. Yeah, friend. Uh, that's that so was crazy. insane. But we, I, we left some stuff here in storage in Chattanooga and I remember specifically leaving my guitar here. Mm, I had like intentionally. Yes. I intentionally left my guitar here. I mean, we didn't have room for it anyway, but I left it here and I, it was, it wasn't the best guitar ever. It was like an Epiphone acoustic. Right. But it was, it was mine. It was the first guitar that was actually mine that, well, yeah, the first acoustic that was worth playing. That was mine. (laughs) Yeah. Same with me. I had an Epiphone too. And And I just sold last year, to be honest. So I hung on to mine. And I left it and was not planning on bringing it out. And I remember one of the first times our family came to visit, they brought it with them to surprise me. <laughs> oh. And I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to look at that thing. I'm like, I was, because then I felt all this pressure. Like, I've got I've to play it now, you know, but I don't want to play it. I don't want to have anything to do with any of this stuff. Right. And I was telling myself all these different stories and, and I sold all my filmmaking equipment. Like my first year I was out there, I, which they also mailed out to me. <laughs> like I didn't want it and they, uh, they sent it to me. Uh, so you could still have it today. <laughs> oh, I mean, we, we also needed the money. So yeah, I, I, it works I, out. I sold it, it all yeah, worked it out. It worked out. And that's where I was for a very, very long time. And it, I started to come out of it and, and work through some things and got a little bit of creativity in there. And then when I, in 2017, when I left my job to start my own business again, I started to get the itch creatively. I'd, I'd work through the religious piece enough mm. to where I was no longer hurt and angry. And I, I, and so the creativity wasn't tied to that. And then I had also... M- once I got out to start my own business and I was, I proved to myself that I could do it. Uh-huh. I knew that I wasn't going like that person. That's like, that's just your opinion, man. You know, you, you can say that I don't have what it takes, but I can prove to myself that I, I can do whatever I want. And so once I proved that to myself, then I started to get that itch back. And it wasn't until 2019 when I had, and so like this, so just for context, this was from 2011, the end of 2011 is when we moved out to Bellingham. So that's like mm. eight years. Yeah. <laughs> that's eight years of doing nothing like really creative. And I remember I was trying to figure out what to do for my marketing agency and to, to track my target customer. And so I started a podcast and I immediately just fell in love with podcasting <laughs> and it very quickly became 
I don't really, I don't care about the agency anymore. I just want to focus on how do I do this podcast? Oh yeah. <laughs> and it, it was less, so I, I love the target audience and I love the conversations that I was having, but I just love the, the, the art form. And so that, that opened that whole world back up to me when I realized that I'm creating something I'm putting it out in the world and it's helping people. Like it's like people actually responding to it. And it's something that I created that wouldn't have been there before. If I hadn't stepped out of my comfort zone and actually taken action and done something right, man, that just lit a fire under me. And so I was doing this whole podcast, like all the way pretty much through, through the pandemic, through 2020. And it was great. And then at the end of an end of last year, like the weight of the whole year and the stress had finally hit me. I'm like, I need a break. I need a mental break. Yeah. And I, I had started a, a new job and I'd, I'd stopped doing the agency cause it was sucking the life out of me. And I started doing a job that I love and, and so I was starting to get that, some of that, you know, energy back again mm-hmm. after the stress of the year. And that was when I bought a guitar for the first time in eight years, nine years. Right. Yeah. Um, here it is. Yeah. It's, it's in, it sits <laughs> in our frame of the, of the video. Yeah. And it's, uh, so it's an orange wood. I was like, I want to buy a guitar that sounds good, but also I'm not going to be afraid of my kids being around. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy a nicer yeah. one when they get older. And it was like, I don't know, 400 bucks, but it was, it sounds good. It sounds really good. And, yeah. and the, I don't have to worry about the kids knocking it over and being out two grand or something, but I started oh, playing guitar again. And side note. <laughs> I when when I was younger, I remember. So the when the first guitar that I ever held that was more expensive than I could ever afford was this guy's guitar that was a family friend, right? So I was like fourteen. I play. I got to hold this guitar, and it was a Gibson jumbo body. Like for those who were guitar nerds, is a J two hundred. And but it was the like beautiful like blonde finish. But it's, it he'd had it appraised, and it was appraised for over ten thousand dollars. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and he had it. He just would hang it up on the wall terrible i'm like why would you do that like put it away well one day his three-year-old daughter had a toy and hit it as hard as she could and broke it all the way through the front of the body (laughs) and so he was out a ten thousand dollar guitar that was more than my first three cars that i i you know and so that's a perfect example of why you don't buy even a, a even a decently nice guitar like buy a guitar that is the best for your money when you have kids, because there's no way there's, I'm, I'm terrified. Another going back one episode, but I'm terrified of having kids <laughs> or in a few episodes, I guess at this point, um, I'm terrified of having kids. Cause what am I going to do with all my guitars? <laughs> I already have them. They predated the kids. <laughs> so, yeah. So it, it, that's the journey that I went on to finally getting to the point where you and I got together in November and we were like, and we've been talking about doing something like this for a while. We've been talking a about long time. a long time, many, many years. Yeah. We've talked about doing something together. And I, f- I finally, like we finally had the right idea at the right time. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it didn't matter if anybody else listened. Right. Because we wanted to do it for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has been a, a big part of the success of this show so fast so early like, yeah the crazy amount of downloads we've had just in the first week week and a half like we're in the top 10 percent of podcasts already which is insane to me yeah and but i think it comes from one we created something for ourselves like we scratched our own itch mm-hmm. and we wanted to do something that that served an audience that is us 
right? And 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 it allows us in that way, it allows us to just completely be that ourselves. Right. And so so people resonate with that. And and it was something that was desperately needed. And so that was part of it. But the other part of it too is that because we were able to be ourselves, we just have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And we pour ourselves into it and we're energized by it. And you, you know, you create the music for it. I, you know, I do the the marketing side of things and like we, we work together on the content, the ideas, and um, you know, we we like I do the video stuff, which um is not up on YouTube yet because, you know, I only have so much time in the day and yeah. <laughs> we do have video that we recorded. The first few episodes are uh pretty rough because I had to do it with a GoPro. Um, but it's looking it's looking better every time we do it. So but I, th- I think that that's the big piece of it is we are harnessing our creative energy and focusing it and unleashing it. And, um, you know, kind of circling back around, like that is what it's all about. Right. You know? Like we, we, we're refining our process every time. So mm-hmm. that's a piece of it, but we're also, just pouring ourselves into something and putting it out into the world and with no expectations of anything other than this is something we did and we love it. And hopefully you will too. And hopefully you'll get something out of it. But you know, even if not, we're just going to keep doing it because this is, we love it. Like this is fun. Well, and, and going back to what I was saying about my past story, I'm so used to putting things online that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> so it doesn't, my outcome, if it would be the same, right? right. It doesn't matter. I, and, and something I didn't mention before, which is kind of similar to what you're saying is that I spent, so when I got bored and didn't know what to do and I wasn't creating anything new, I decided, you know what, I'm going to get really into live streaming. <laughs> and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode about how um, I would get obsessed about all the steps, right? But that took over like three months of my life. I was just all about trying to figure out how to live stream, which if you don't know, there's a lot of steps. It's it's complicated. It's, yeah. And a lot of it doesn't make any sense. And it's not efficient, which is against my personality at all, <laughs> like, in, in many ways. There's like a multiple need, steps. You need so many like different pieces that have to fit together just right in like technology and, and they're software. Not cheap and they're not cheap and um and it's a it's a huge pain all these people yeah. see people like on twitch that are streaming games and you think oh wow their stream looks really good i'm sure they just threw a camera up nope no mm-hmm. there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes you don't realize especially with music live streaming which is what i did but that saved me last year i mean mm-hmm. it it got me into so i did i kind of left this out of the story but it i mean that got me back into a rhythm of creatively doing something yeah. And even though I wasn't creating anything out of thin air music wise or whatever, as far as like songs or anything like that, I was creating these videos and doing something I had never done before and going out on a limb and just saying, you know, I'm going to see what happens. And that's actually what led up to the February writers. So I was, I think that's all part of why I was so willing to do it. And they asked me and I said, yes, mm-hmm. is I think if any, any other time in my life, they would have said that I would have been like, Oh no, I'm no, I'm not, I'm not at the, I'm not at that caliber. I don't think I could do that. You know? But because I had spent six months trying to do live streaming and I was doing it multiple times a week and threw myself out there and tried to do a for a little while, I tried to do this. I had like a a Sunday night every week live stream. And then on Thursday night, I wanted to do this thing called writer's block where 
I actually wrote a song on a live stream and people could throw some prompts out there and I would see where it would go and write it on the spot. And I'd use my iPad so you could like see me writing the notes down on the screen. And wow. I, so there's a few live streams out there. I probably not anymore because Twitch is mean and edit and deletes them after two weeks. But um, <laughs> there's videos that exist on my computer, at least where I wrote an entire and I did write an entire song based on those live streams. And it's not a great song and it's not finished. So I don't claim that as a song I wrote in the pandemic year, <laughs> but the bridge could be better. But, uh, but I wrote an entire song and it was a story song based on people's prompts and it was really fun. And, um, you know, and I had my, I had this one guy who, uh, would get on every single live stream and he was in like, I think in India or something. And he was going to mu- school for music theory and he loved it. He was there for every live stream, super supportive, was in my discord channel that I tried to create. It's funny. I tried to literally create what we're doing here with the podcast, but I did it around the live stream and it, I won't say it failed, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, and I, uh, it was, it was just so much fun. I found so much passion in just trying to create it, it. All of a sudden it wasn't about the songs I was creating or the things that was, I was identifying with. I was trying to create something that was in some ways bigger than me. I was trying to create a community. Uh, Mm. And I thought that that was a good time to do it when everybody was stuck at home. And, uh, and and it worked out to some degree because if nothing else, I got a lot out of it in the sense that I got a rhythm going that I'd never had in my life before and probably prepped me hardcore for this and for this podcast and being able to do this in a way that wasn't stressful and that I actually enjoy. So it's just funny how all that works out and we get to where we are Yeah, by getting out of our own way. Yeah. I mean, we, we each mostly had the equipment we needed to do this because of the other because things of that the we other did things yeah. yeah everything that i'm recording on right now is because of the live stream yeah 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 and so that's you know that that just goes to show and and this is the thing that i wish so so this is the thing that i learned through all of this through all the ups and downs and all of the trial and error and all of the upside down dark places and all this is, you know, we, because we deconstruct everything and we, you know, we, especially, I, I, I can only speak for the, for the four wing side of things, but I know that, that finding purpose and meaning is, um, is something that's, that drove me for a long time. Right. And we can basically shoot ourselves in the foot and, and stop ourselves before we even get started. And, and the, the big question that we end up asking is, is this even going to be worth the effort? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's honestly, that's something that that was a question that played over and over and over in my head that was basically dictating my life for the longest time. Um, and, and so, you know, until I was able to recognize it and unpack it and do something about it. But what I realized was what, what you're really saying is this, it, what you're really saying when you ask, is this worth the effort is how can I not fail? Mm hmm. That's what you're really asking. And and here's the thing. There's no such thing as failure. That's what I've learned. There's no such thing as failure. There's only outcomes and expectations. Right? So if you look at this podcast, there are so there are people I know who have started a podcast and they expect to get, you know, 10,000 downloads in the first week. And maybe they have an existing audience. Maybe they have, which we didn't have, by the way. Yep. And, and they want to, you know, they, they, they have these revenue goals or they have, you know, they want to make a million dollars this year or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. 
And because I've done another podcast, I know how hard it is to get traction as podcasts, as a podcaster, especially when you don't have an existing audience, right? It's hard for people who are authors and have an existing audience. Right. Yeah. And so to transfer mediums, it's just hard. So if you look at what we did, we can look at that and say, you know, a thousand downloads in our first week. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Right. But someone else who has different expectations can look at that and say, that's a huge failure. Yeah. Right. The circumstances are the same. Like mm-hmm. the outcome is the exact same. Right. The only thing that's changed is the expectations. Right. So we, we are the ones who determine, you know, quote unquote success and failure. Right. Yeah. It's just a label. It's just a label. It's, it's just our expectations and the stories that we're telling ourselves. And so what I've learned is when you set these expectations, you're only setting yourself up for misery Mm. because no matter what we're, we're so good about moving the goalpost, you know, even if we do hit some magical number that we've made up in our head, right. Immediately. What's the next thing we do? Oh, I wonder if I can get to this. I wonder if I can get to that. Right. What, you know, level up mentality is immediately. It's like, it's not good enough. Even if I hit it, it's just, it's not good enough. Yeah. And, and so what, where I'm at now is I've realized that, and this, you know, I'm still, everything's, everything's a process, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I've realized that when you shift your perspective and you go from, this is the goal that I'm hitting. And like, you know, if I don't hit that, it's a failure. When you come back around and say, I'm focused on progress and improving my process and learning, there is no failure. Right. Because everything you do is a learning experience and you're just going to do it better next time and the next time and the next time. And nothing is stopping you because you're not putting yourself in the, in these boxes of success and failure and you're not weighing yourself down with unmet expectations and you're, you're able to free yourself and just say, I'm doing this because I'm doing it. And the, the process is the work. The process is the success. Right. And that's, I feel like that's where we are right now with the, with the podcast where we just said, Hey, you know what? Uh, I, and when we started, for instance, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, we, we started with like this crappy video and and we both knew this is not good enough. Like really, especially, you know, with my background in, in doing some filmmaking, I, there, it would have been very easy for me to say, okay, wait, stop. We gotta, we gotta just stop. Wait until I get some more equipment and do this, get the setup right. Right. We didn't do that. We sat down and we said, we're just going to have the conversation. And the next time we do it, it's going to be better. Yeah. But right now we're working with what we got and we just move forward. And yeah, it didn't stop us. We didn't, didn't try to have us. all of the right. equipment before we started because it never would right. have happened. It never would have happened. It's just, yeah, yeah it's the just, right, the right situation. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you come back to, to that, that question of, is this worth the effort? What you're really saying is how do I not fail? Mm-hmm. And what that's really saying is, how do I stay safe? Yeah. And you're never going to create things if you want to stay safe. You're Creati- never gonna, creativity yeah. isn't safe. Because it's vulnerable. Right. Yeah. It's inherently vulnerable. Yeah. And so we do this thing where we think we're making progress because we're, especially as fives, we love to do the learning thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay. I'm going to create this thing, but first I have to research everything about it first. Right. Right. You know, I have to know all the stuff. And then once I know all the stuff, then I can confidently take action on it. Right. Let me just, we're, we're just going to put this out here. You're never going to know all the stuff. No. <laughs> Partially because 
you're just never going to know all the stuff. And partially because knowing all the stuff requires the action piece. You learn the most from taking action, you know, making mistakes, trial and error and, and doing yeah. something better next time, iterating on it. Like right. that's how you make things better. And that's how you make something that's worthwhile. And you're never going to do that. If you tell yourself these stories of like, it has to be perfect. It has to be good. That is your way of conspiring with your own ego to stay safe and never actually step out and create anything. And that's the biggest lesson that I've learned these last few years when it comes to creativity is that I have everything that I need. Right. And because what I need is just to be me and to step out and do something. Right. Right. Because it's not about, you've heard me say this before, like it's not about perfection. It's about progress. Yeah. And anyone can do that. So when speaking of kind of the behind the scenes of the podcast and us putting this together, so we recorded four, we actually recorded five episodes. We recorded four that we released into the world. (laughs) Uh, We recorded four episodes that the first four episodes of this podcast were recorded way before Mm -hmm. we released them. Yeah, uh, we did it at the end of 2020 and mm. beginning of 2021, which is obvious to some degree. There's a few things that we say in there that kind of dates it, so you can kind of figure out when when we recorded it. And then we just sat on it for a few months. Yeah, and tried to figure out what we were going to do and how we were going to edit it. And slash, you were trying to talk me into saying yes, you can do this, <laughs> <laughs> and trying to build me up a little bit because I had never done it before. Well, so, and we legitimately had some had some things come up in our lives that made it really difficult to do anything creative at that point. Sure. Yeah. And you know, yeah, life happens. And so we put it off and we, you know, try kept moving the goalposts there as far as the release date and all that, which worked out great. It worked out great because I finally was like, you know what? The perfect day (laughs) to release an episode for Enneagram fives is on five, five. So May 5th, May 5th (laughs) at five 55 (laughs) AM. Exactly. Um, And, and it was, it was funny because we, we had been kind of spinning our wheels and not really going anywhere and making a little bit of progress here and there. But as soon as we set that date, it was like, we've committed yeah, and we're in and we've got this constraint now. And you know what? It's going to ship no matter what. Like we're going to launch this thing no matter what. And we both went into that with that same commitment. And that's how it was like, that's how it turned out as well as it did. I mean, in launch week was the least amount of sleep I've gotten in a long time. (laughs) It was, it was, it was a bit crazy because we, I put it together all those episodes really quickly. Cause I mean, it it was only two weeks before launch day where I was like, okay, I can do this. And so I sat down and just started hammering out all the, and going, you know, that first episode took me a week to edit, you know, and then after the first, I rapidly got them done. Um, So if there's harsh edits that you notice, there you go. But, uh, (laughs) but, you know, and and each episode gets better. So this podcast is a perfect representation of what we're saying today, that it's by trial and error. It's by doing that you learn the most. I'm sure Mm -hmm. 10 episodes from now it'll be a whole different podcast. It'll be completely different quality. And that's good. That's how it should be. I'm fine with that. And I've come to grips with that. But it's funny. So I say all that to say, the first four episodes were recorded a long time ago. We had recorded them and edited them down. And then we released them, first three, and then the next one. And my parents, my mom, my dad's a five. My mom is a, she is identifying now as a four wing five. Okay. The first thing that she says to me, she's going to love that I'm talking about this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on my way over here tonight, she and uh, she asks me, she calls me and she's like, are you going to talk about me tonight on the podcast? <laughs> and I was like, of course I am. I'll find, I'll find a way. And she's like, is it going to be bad? And I was like, of course it is. Because she always has this fear that I'm going to say all these bad things about her. She hasn't listened to the parenting <laughs> podcast yet. And so she was like, did you talk about bad? Did you say bad things about me? And I was like, of course I did. <laughs> 
Um, and I can hear my dad laughing in the background. But so my mom, the she calls for the me. record, Cody's mom. I I love you. So you always have you know a son here if you want to get rid of this one. <laughs> this this whole podcast makes her incredibly anxious. <laughs> But in, and it's funny that you say this. So it goes back to the safe thing, right? So mm-hmm. I spent my entire life in a safe space, not sharing my life, my personal details. I mean, I did this with you mm-hmm. for the first many years of our friendship, right? Yeah. So I just didn't share personal details about my life. I didn't do that. I held everything close to the chest. And a lot of that was because of my parents. And and you know what's funny now that you say that is I, I feel like we know each other so much better by doing this podcast. Oh, because for sure. We, We're filling in the blanks. Yeah, we've been best friends for, what, 12, 12 years? 12 years, yeah. <laughs> a long time. Yeah. And I think both of us feel like we never really knew each other super well, but you're probably the closest friend that I have. And so it's just a weird dynamic. We kind of re... I think we yeah. we got to know each other all over again when you started having kids. Yeah. Because that also challenged a lot of things about mm-hmm. in my personality and me that... I was like, all right, well, now my best friend has kids. So I have to be okay with kids. <laughs> you know? And then, of course, you know, then I fall in love with your kids. So it's a whole thing. Uh, and and I think that brought us closer together. And we started talking mm-hmm. about things and breaking down barriers all over again. But I, and that and uh, all of it kind of paves the way to this moment and in, in this chapter in our lives together. And so I but it's just so I spent most of my life doing that and holding everything close to the chest and not sharing these things. Mm-hmm. And what I found was not being myself and not being authentic and putting myself out there is actually been my detriment all along throughout so much of my life because to be a musician and to be sociable and be online and to be, to do the things like Instagram lives and to play the game, you you can't just play the game by throwing tidbits out there. It has to be authentic things Mm -hmm. for people to latch onto. That's been my downfall for so much of, (laughs) I genuinely believe most of my music career didn't take off because I was never myself. I, People 100% see, agree with that. People yeah. see through that. And so when we dis, when I decided to do the live stream, I said, you know what? I'm going to just be myself. I'm going to sit down and I don't really care what happens. I'm In my mind, I'm always like the edited self, right? Like even when we do this podcast, sometimes I have to bring myself out of edit mode when you're mm. talking because I'm thinking about editing things. Yep. And like, oh, I'm going to edit that later, you know, <laughs> or whatever. But most of it, I hope you do edit later. Yes. And I do, I do edit a lot. Um, but, it, but that's, that's hats that you take on and off. Yeah. And right now this has got to be just me and you having a conversation over wine and mm-hmm. pretending there's a bunch of people in the room that are all, care about what we have to say. <laughs> uh, and, and, but I think that's, I think that's a, a really special thing, but the live stream kind of led me up to this moment where when we, I knew the very first time we sat down for an episode, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was super anxious about it. I didn't know what we were going to talk about or what I was going to say, but I decided before we hit record, I don't care. And I'm just mm. going to be myself. And if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it honestly. And mm. I've kept that exact thing the whole time. And yeah. that is my mom's greatest fear. <laughs> so it comes back around. So when the first three episodes release, it's launch week, you know, a few weeks ago and the th- first three episodes come out and it's great to hear them all at once. I kind of, you know, I, I geeked out on our own podcast, right? Like I hit play on my car while I was driving around for work and, and it's, it is fun to listen to too, because in one of the episodes I talk about like my work in my last job and how I had that whole job is, it was cool to hear the progress because 
I had this moment where I'm sitting there listening to this podcast about how I just hope that I can get this job in the distribution side where I could be a sales rep and all this stuff. And I just hope that happens one day as I'm driving around doing the job that I wanted. <laughs> it's things like that. It was really fun. And I get through all three episodes. And of course, my mom's like, well, I'm going to listen to him. I'm like, all right. And I didn't know what to expect from this conversation, but I, she calls me and I, was, and I was like, hey, mom, how's it going? She's like, I listened to the episodes. And I was like, okay, what'd you think of them? And she goes... I just don't know if you were too, I, I'm afraid you're being too honest with people. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I just think that it, you share too many things and it might like hurt you in life. People are going to hold it against you. You're going to use mm -hmm. it against you. And I said, okay, how do you mean? And so she said, well, you know, like what if people hear that episode where you did shrooms and they don't let you have a job? <laughs> And I was like, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but even if they do, I was like, my boss listens to this podcast. <laughs> so so does mine. And funny thing, when we made the joke about doing an episode where like I tried drugs for the first time and that would be the episode, he's like, I fully support this. <laughs> <laughs> be fair, your boss is on the West Coast too. Yeah, so. yeah that's, that's true. He, Whole different world he over lives there. in Seattle. So. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> But I think it's just such a, but what I experienced in this moment just last week or whenever it was two a week ago. Yeah, a week ago, I had to face what I had. I immediately knew where I got it from. Like my parents have always been hold it close to the chest. Don't let people in that kind of thing. People will use things against you. And I mean, and they didn't do this intentionally, but they, they tried to instill in my, me and my brother early on that, you know, the world is not safe and you have to be careful and all these kinds of things. And it, that plays out in my life in so many different ways now where I'm constantly having to break that back down and go, you know what? Not everybody's bad and not everybody's out to get me and mm. not everybody. And, and then break down those stereotypes and break down that's a whole other conversation, really. But because we could go into that goes into everything on how I view people that I walk by on the street, people that I hold the door open for or whatever, hold the door open for me. Like I, it's different because it, you start questioning motives. Right. And I think that's really interesting because my mom is questioning everybody who listens to this podcast's motive and how I'm sharing myself mm. and being authentic and being myself. And I think, and so the conversation goes on, we go back and forth a little bit for a little bit and she goes back and forth and she, eventually she says, well, this is just my opinion. And I said, I know. And my opinion differs from yours and we can disagree and it's fine, but I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to see what happens because I've never done it before. And I want to see what happens. And she goes, okay, well, I hope it works out. And I said, I think it will. And that was the end of that conversation. My dad calls me two days later and tells me he listened to the podcast. And I was like, what'd you think of it? And he goes, I really liked it. You guys are very entertaining. <laughs> and that was the end of that. <laughs> but he's a five. So my mom yeah. is like, is a whole different mindset. But she loved it too, because she thought that she was getting to know both of us in a way. She was getting yeah. to know me in ways that she didn't know. And I was like, whoa, man, wait till you hear some more episodes. Because <laughs> I'd already known what we'd recorded since then. And so I feel like my mom's... So all that to say, mom, I figured out a way to say something that you're going to be insecure about tonight. So there you go. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Oh, man, I love it. I think being a five is one of the best Enneagram numbers to be if you're also a creative person or you're in any any type of creative innovation position. For me, just the ability to uh, understand, investigate, you know, see all the sides of, of a problem that I'm trying to solve is, is just a great launching point for, you know, 
creativity. I think a lot of times creative people just sort of sit there with a blank canvas and are kind of guided by maybe not great boundaries or not a great understanding of what is they're trying to accomplish where being a five understanding and just asking the question you know the, the people that know me in my life I know that one of my one of the main things I always ask at least in the workplace is what's the problem we're trying to solve keeping focused on what is the problem in this specific task or this project or whatever it's like what is the actual problem we're trying to solve there's a lot of other things that we could do a lot of other areas that we can go into but like what is the actual problem that we're trying to solve with this and when you have a good answer to that question and a really good understanding of what the actual problem is that's a great environment for creativity and innovation so i actually think fives can be a huge asset to the uh, creative process and a huge asset to innovation just to help keep the team focused on the actual problem we're trying to solve to create those like bowling lane bumpers so to speak so you can't go off scope or go off the project or end up being creative for the sake of being creative used to be kind of similar one of the things that i get from being a five mm-hmm. is the i've talked about this many times is the energy management piece mm, yeah and i would say with the exception of kind of a high school college where i sort of kept people at a distance and kind of compartmentalized compartmentalized myself i'm a pretty authentic person and i don't say that to like toot my own horn or anything i i say it because like putting up a front and putting on a face that's just so much work. It is. Yeah. It's so much work. And that takes so much energy. And I don't want to do that. I And, and I'm not saying I, I'm perfect at this and I do this all the time. But in general, I'm like, look, this is just kind of who I am. Sure. And and that's kind of the and, gift of your 30s, right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, that's when true I, too. When I was in my 20s, everybody that I knew in your 30s or 40s would say, oh, just wait till you get to your 30s because you get to be yourself and you don't give a shit. <laughs> And it's true. true. Being a parent also helps with that. Sure. Because you're just like, man, I do so much shit every day. Yeah. I I don't care about you. Like, (laughs) I don't care what what you think. Like, you You realize how much I have to do every day. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got so many other things to worry about. Like, get out of my face, man. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, that's, that's totally true. Yeah, no. So, and I think that that's a, that's so funny. So, also too, what you're saying about the energy management piece, though, that plays out in a different way for me. In in some ways, I was gonna take make a mention of this. Whenever I'm, whenever I dive deep into the creative place, I guess you want to say, or creative space, and I'm doing something like editing a podcast, I very, very easily. And it's funny. I used to do this when I was a teenager. I would I would sit and record in my. We had like a, but this is before computers would record things that sounded good, and so we had. <laughs> one of those digital recorder mixers that Mm -hmm. was really nice and awesome that my dad got me and it was I was super spoiled and it was this like cork recorder or whatever and I made the band that I was with that shall not be named um (laughs) the first album that ever came out the EP and album that came out I did by myself in our basement on this recorder and I spent two weeks and I was homeschooled at the time I was 16 I spent two weeks not eating or sleeping I was obsessively doing it. I Mm. woke up thinking about mixing and editing. I went to sleep or didn't go to sleep, but stay up till four or five in the morning until I literally couldn't hold my eyes open mixing and editing and putting more parts in and thinking about what I wanted to do next and all that. And then I got into my adult life and never did that again and never got into that place. So I would forget that I Mm. could actually get to that place again. 
until this podcast. Well, until the live stream was to some degree because I was driving Madison insane, um, constantly thinking about it and forgetting about work and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but then with this podcast, you know, oh, le- launch week, yeah, did not sleep. Oh my gosh! And I got and but the thing is, and you know, talking about energy management, it was giving me energy, right. and in a way, but in a way that was almost like obsessive compulsive. So it was unhealthy. Yeah, and I have to, and I have, and so I've had to revisit that fifteen years later, sixteen years later, and go, wait, I have to learn how to shut it off. Mm, yeah, that's so, a really good point because we can get hyper-focused. Yeah. I actually just had a conversation with my boss today where I was like, I feel terrible. And I felt terrible for the last couple of weeks because I have not been doing a great job at work compared to recent times. I mean, I'm, I'm still, things are going fine and like, I'm making sure that the team has what it needs and stuff, but like, right. I I know what my A game is. Yeah. And this is not my A game. (laughs) I'm like, I, part of it is that I'm doing the social media stuff. And I I mean, I don't do it like a ton. Yeah. But it's enough where I, cause I got pretty good about not obsessively checking that stuff. Right. And then doing this and engaging with people, it's like dopamine overload. Right. So all of a sudden I have this crazy dopamine rushing through my system and I don't know what to do with it and I can't pay attention to anything. And I'm just like constantly like, oh, did someone respond? Oh, what are the stats now? Oh, you know, like yeah, do I need to go like, and so yeah. And so that has been really challenging. Yeah. And then layer on top of that the fact that I have all this creative energy right now. Mm-hmm. And I have all these ideas. And so I'm like trying to focus on work. And I, because here's the thing, I love my job. Yeah. I, and this might be the first time I've ever actually really loved my job. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I absolutely love it. And I want to do a good job. And I know that people are, are counting on me to do a, a good job. And so it just kills me because I'm trying to focus on the stuff, the work stuff. And I've got all this stuff running in the background and all these ideas and all this creative energy. And I'm like, Ah, ah, yeah, ah, like pull it back. And then I start the, where, where it really goes off, off track is where I start like shaming myself mm, and beating myself yeah, up over sure. that. And I had to talk with him today about that. Like I, like this is what's going on. And like, I've basically been like treating myself like crap because I, I feel bad because I, so side note yeah. that you have that relationship with your boss that you can do that. I feel like I have that relationship with my boss too, but I'm also a little bit terrified of her because <laughs> Because I want to do a good job. She's and I'm, like a three though, right? Like she, she is a three. And yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah the threes and, can be intimidating. And in the sales world, she's mm. threes are yeah. dangerous, yeah. you know? And she's also <laughs> like the best. Like is she ever, I think everybody on our team all over Tennessee is afraid of her <laughs> because she's just intimidating and awesome. So like every time I just constantly feel like I'm disappointing her. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, to some degree I am if, it, if I'm trying to meet her standards, you know? And so like, I just don't have that. I, and I would consider us friends. Like we were friends before I got this job. I was the buyer. She was the seller. So like we had that relationship before, but like also we were cool with each other and she wanted me for this position. So it worked mm-hmm. out and we have that cool dynamic, I think, where we're pretty real with each other all the time. But to, for me to be able to be like, yeah, I just really didn't work this week. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not going to say that to her. Well, I, the reason I took, one of the main reasons I took the job was because I got on a call with him and had a conversation like initially. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that we were like cut from the same cloth. Yeah, kin- and I, kinship. I, yeah. I didn't realize until after we started working together that we're basically the same person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like he's a five wing four and grew up in a small conservative 
town and was was into music and then moved out to the northwest and yeah. started you know he was he started in his own business but then moved into product and like we have very very similar stories right and it's just kind of funny like he said today he's like uh, he said something. I'm just going to assume from now on that whenever I have an experience that you have the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk about it. We just understand each other. But it's been cool because that's really important to me. My last job and the reason why I left it was I didn't feel like I could be myself and I didn't feel like I I could be authentic. And when I tried to be it, it I felt like I was creating waves. And so it's, I think this is a really good, this is a really important aspect of the creativity piece too, is if you're in an environment where you can't be your true self, that's also going to kill your creativity. Yeah. And, and if for no other reason is you've got so much processing power and energy put towards trying to make yourself into something that other people that meets other people's ex- expectations, you're not going to have that creative energy to put towards the things that matter. And so that's been a big piece for me too, is like one of the reasons why I love my job. And also one of the reasons why I've kind of been crushing it is I feel safe and confident enough to be myself and to experiment with some things and to try some stuff and take some risks. And also have it energize me to where I can do the things that I want to do and, and push things forward. And so that it's interesting how all of that plays into our side creative thing that we have because work is a big part of life. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that, yeah, that's definitely had a huge impact on my life for sure too, because I'm constantly meeting a challenge every single day of like, how do Mm. I be, how am I going to be better today than I was yesterday? How am I going to be better this week? How am I? And it's also incredibly measurable. And that's something that's great for my personality because I always, it's hard for me to stay in a job where all of the creative energy that I have that I try to convert into productive energy, which is very different. And it's, that's a whole other conversation kind of, of how do we take creative energy? That's just like whimsical and chaotic and put it into a (laughs) funnel of office work or whatever we're doing, whatever it is that your job is. And for me, before this job, it was working in a retail high-end wine and liquor store. And so how do I be productive? And I I kind of, I touch on this in a different episode, a previous episode. And so I would get these projects and try to expand on things and grow things, but it would, and it would go noticed, it would get noticed, but, but the work that I put into it and the detail and the things that I would do would get largely unnoticed. So it'd be very easy for me to get unmotivated. And then the creativity would just kind of evaporate into Mm -hmm. thin air. Right. And so I would just kind of like, let it all go. And that was really hard, especially in the pandemic year facing being in the public every single day and being in, uh, you know, being a, uh, what's it called? Um, essential worker, essential worker, being yeah. an essential worker, put an added layer of like, I hate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a, like, there was like, I felt this intense negativity and judgment towards everyone in the I, world. I definitely felt that coming off of you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then that definitely and a huge, it had a huge impact on it when I actually got COVID mm. and I had a, you know, I had a, uh, a conflict with a friend because of it. And, and it was this whole thing where I, and I grossly overreacted to that. And so did he, and it was this whole thing and it became the most dramatic thing I've ever done since I was a teenager. (laughs) And it was all because,
because I was actually, I was dealing with emotional trauma that I went through all year long and mm. I didn't realize it in, until the end of the year. And it had all kind of culminated into this moment. And it took us a few weeks. And then me and my friend patched things up and said, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry too. And I tried to explain, I was just overreacting because I, I felt like I was going to die for like five or six days and was almost hospitalized. It was, and it, and I, it was all because of people being stupid and not wearing a mask. And that's mm. why I got it. And so I think that that was that all of that comes together in this weird way to say I was trying. That was the year that was my chance to get to move on and actually try to create a career out of something because I'd spent my entire life starting over and starting over. And a lot of it was because I had been chasing dreams of create creative endeavors mm -hmm. and they didn't work out or didn't pan out the way that. I wanted them to, for whatever reason, in many ways, my own fault looking back on it. And so I just happened into this job five years ago where I was like, I'll do this on the side because I love wine and I want to learn more about wine. And, and I just ended up staying there while I had all these other jobs and I kept doing it and kept doing it until eventually I didn't have anything else left. And so I looked at, I said to the boss, Hey, I want to go full time. And then very quickly I ended up being the buyer. And so I, and I wanted to use that to leverage, to get another job. And all of that to say it's all, all of that though, anytime I think a five, especially a creative five decides on a path where they want to build something, even if it's a career, it's coming from creative energy mm -hmm. and to find a way to convert creative energy into productive energy in a different way. And in a different context is incredibly difficult and very temperamental. <laughs> and I found that the one year that I had a shot to say, I'm going to do, I'm going to spend a year. I have a, I'm giving myself a year to do all these things. And I set out to do that. And then the world ended three months later. <laughs> it was a really hard year to do that. And so I was under an intense amount of stress and I constantly had to jump over my own hurdles every single day, all year long. And so, yeah, I didn't do a lot of side creating. I didn't do a lot of music. Obviously it was the longest I'd ever gone without playing any live gigs musically or anything in my entire life, really, since I was 12 years old. And, but what I found was I learned how to apply creative energy to other areas of my life and actually be a productive and functional human being and do something else. And that was really cool and really fun. Now, do I struggle with the idea of doing something forever? Of course. Yeah. I don't want to mm -hmm. do this job forever. I don't want to do anything forever. <laughs> I get bored really easily. Yeah. And, I, and I, and that's a struggle for, I think a lot of fives is maybe that, that idea of creativity coming into conflict with a 40 hour a work week mm. thing. And that's something that's really difficult to do. And I'm sure other fives feel that way. I think we've seen that in our own community that we're creating online as people have co made comments about that. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, so speaking of not setting ourselves up for being productive at work. It's almost 1 a.m. Yes. <laughs> but I don't want to leave here without digging into your creative process. And so let's talk about the creative energy piece. And I really want to dig into your process okay. as uh, a musician, a singer-songwriter, and specifically how you go about creating the music for this show. Okay. Where do we start? So... If we're going to talk about the podcast, so I sit down, so I have this this special booth, which if you follow me on Instagram and, and stuff, I post about it sometimes as I have this office that I created. I think I've actually talked about this office mm -hmm. in the last episode and I created a booth out of it, an entire booth. And it's, and I just put a recently put a lamp 
a bulb into my lamp that's very cool. It's a cool light, like a white light. So I have this, I have this booth and I, I just read, I think I just this week got it where I really love it. And, uh, but I've, it's such a great separate space that I created just for creativity and just for being in my own head about it, I guess, and being separate from the rest of my life. So go down, sit down. I have a, a MIDI keyboard in front of me and I have my guitar in the corner. And depending on the song, I, and, and granted, when we first started this podcast, you pretty much set a low bar. You were like, we need an intro and we need like <laughs> maybe one song, a podcast, and we can just use that over and over again behind the responses and things like that. I did like that on purpose because I knew what you would do. <laughs> I wanted to get you moving. Yeah. And so, uh, so as it stands now, I go and I sit down in the room and I, I didn't, when I first sat down to do this podcast, so when I wrote the intro, I was still in the 500 square foot apartment and I didn't know, I didn't have a space for creativity. I didn't have a space for anything really. And so I kind of set this desk up in the middle of the apartment, much to Madison's dismay. And <laughs> it was a huge mess. And I'm one night after she had gone to bed, it was late. It was midnight, 1am. And I decided that I was going to try to take a stab at what I wanted the intro to sound like. And I started playing these chords. played these chords that were kind of in a minor key. So I played those chords and I just looped them and started building on top of it. And within an hour and a half, I had the intro. And so I sat on that for a while and I heard the voices that I wanted on top of it of everybody saying I'm an Enneagram 5. My name is an Enneagram 5. My name is and I'm an Enneagram and I knew that it, that was the first time I got excited about this podcast hmm. because I knew exactly how it was going to start and I knew what I wanted it to sound like and honestly it's still not the way that I want it to sound like it probably will get refined in tiny little pieces as we go along and the intro will change a little bit here and there, but I love the way it came out. I think that it was exactly how I wanted. And so then I was able to kind of just rip, kind of strip that back for the uh, outro. So then I had bookends and I knew what I wanted to do from there. And so I started experimenting with that and I love chill lo-fi study beats <laughs> playlists mm -hmm. on Spotify and all that. So I kind of, Stayed in that realm just to stay comfortable for a little while and get my kind of get my feet wet. And then it was uh, the stereotypes episode where I started kind of getting out there a little bit and so I started doing some live guitar playing and on top of it and try to try to do some stuff with some attitude and that's when I started saying you know what I'm gonna create music that's actually I'm gonna listen to the responses first and create music that kind of goes with the responses and so sometimes it's the same song through the whole episode and sometimes it's different songs for every single response and that's what makes it fun and it depends on where my creative energy is in that moment but I sit down every single time and sometimes I do this without, I had some, when we first started this, I had some pieces that I had kind of already been working on instrumentally that I just would sit down and you go, you know, I'm not really in the mood to play, write like a whole song, but I can write two minutes of something. 
And so just sit down and just start playing something and just I, every single time what I do is I either play keys or guitar and then I just build on top of that and just keep playing with sounds and keep doing things until I go, Oh, I like that. I'm going to keep that. And you know, I might have 30 tracks, but I only use 12 of them or whatever. So there's a lot of sounds in there that never get heard, but it's really fun to, I've never had that experience where I get to be the producer. I'm not going into a studio and somebody else is doing the producing. And that's completely changed the way that I do music. I would love to go into a studio now as the musician or the artist with a producer, because I have a, I have much more of a producer's perspective and I would go in going, I want these sounds and I want to try these things. And then I think that would actually spur on even more creativity where I've never really experienced that. And I hear artists, big artists talk about that all the time and I've never had that experience. So I would love to do that now, but you know, I don't know. So it's the, to get to that point though, was such a long journey. I feel like so many times, like the old way for me was that I would play an instrument until I found an idea and then I would wrestle with that idea until I either worked it out or dried up mm-hmm. <laughs> and drained myself. And then I'd have a verse and it would sit in a book somewhere or my notes on my phone until I never did anything with it. And then maybe five years later, I'll look at it and go, oh, I forgot about that. And then I still never do anything with it. And I'd either finish the song or I'd give it up. And I, most of the time, what turned out from that process is I would give up. It was more giving up than I was finishing ideas. And Hmm. that was just never a process that really worked. And so I've now being able to kind of what we've explained through this episode is I think in this conversation is being able to get out of my own way and get my own ideas of what I think is good or bad or successful or fail failure has helped me be able to sit down and say, I'm going to make something right now and I don't care what happens and be able to do that in a way that I can always make something every single time I sit down and do something, I can always create something. And I do it all the time. I, the other day I got off work at five o'clock and by seven, I had an instrumental piece that I really liked. Sometimes I do that. Like the other day I had one and I hated it at the end, but I finished it. (laughs) And so down every creative idea that I have, if I'm talking about songwriting, I write down every single creative idea that I have. I have an endless amount of like titles or one liners or three lines and all these things that I have. And I put them under a file of just ideas. And so if I ever want to just sit down and write something, I'll just pick something and whether I like it or not, I'll pick something and just run with it and try to finish it no matter what it is. And sometimes those are just like these days, I'm thinking more in instrumental terms just because there's only so much you can do as a person. (laughs) And so most of my ideas are, uh, I use the number, the Nashville number system or, and, and so a lot of my ideas are just numbers in a line and that's like my progression. And so I don't know the key, but I'll just be like one, five, six, three, four or whatever. And it'll I, I come back to that later because I'll be driving around because I'll, most by the of, way, I take credit for teaching. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. It was at a youth camp. Yeah. Yeah. And much to my dismay, I've tried to teach every other musician that I know who doesn't know that, that system and nobody ever wants to learn it. And I'm like, you can learn it in five minutes and it takes you two weeks to perfect it. As far as like switching your brain from chord charts to number charts. Yep. It's not hard. And then you can play in any key. Any key. Yep. It doesn't matter. All of my charts are in the number system. Yep. So 
I always chart everything out in numbers. And so sometimes I'll be driving around in the middle of the day and I'll get to one of my accounts. Then before I go in to try to sell them alcohol, I'll open my phone up <laughs> and I'll just start typing some numbers in a note and then just leave it at that and move on and revisit that later for this podcast. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then the other thing is putting time constraints. That really helps too, because having a life and having somebody else in your life who also wants part of your time it's good to have time constraints. And so whether it's after she goes to bed or it's right when I get home and I know like she's taking the dog to the park or whatever, and I have two hours, I, okay, I have two hours. I have to have something at the end of this two hours. And so what I learned in February is continually carrying on over and over and over again in these time constraints and continually serving me well, I think. And so being able to try to finish an idea during that time and then recording whatever I have, and then when I revisit it at another time, maybe it's the next night or whatever, I can revise it at that point and actually make it fit what I'm trying to do. I'll add some layers or whatever, but I always have the meat of what I need. And I think that's something too. I always held myself to such a high standard before of, I wanted it to be polished and completely done and ready to perform in front of thousands of people. Otherwise it's not done. And to me now that's not necessarily true. Having an idea fleshed out enough where I can revisit it and feel that idea all over again when I revisit it is enough for me. And so I have all of these ideas that I wouldn't have considered completed before, but now there are all these lit things that I can take and it's a template and I can build on top of that. And so for that, it's been so much nicer to be able to create things in such a short amount of time and a quick turnaround <laughs> for this podcast. So that's, and I, I don't know, it's been really fun. It's been a whole different process. I completely re and I think it's also important to constantly challenge your process. Yeah. So I do that a lot too. I think that I, yeah. it's really important to never stop learning. And so I never feel like I've achieved the perfect yeah. way to do anything. I constantly try to mix it up and find specifically uncomfortable ways to create, because I think that's, that's really important. Just like we're talking about with this podcast being uncomfortable sitting in the the discomfort of authenticity and being yourself. I do that in some ways with creativity and trying to get to a place. Like sometimes I'll sit down and try to do a creative. I try to flesh out something that I'm thinking in my head and I don't physically know how to do the thing that I hear in my head because either I'm not good enough musically or whatever it is. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'll, I'll take 30 minutes and see how quickly I can learn the thing that I want to do. And so I try to find ways around it and, it's amazing what you can accomplish on your own when you feel like you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. <laughs> so I'm a pianist and I feel like I spent most of my teens and 20s just like pretty exclusively focused on practicing for hours and hours a day and it's easier to do that as a five I think than probably as a lot of other types you're like totally isolated and focused on a pretty selfish activity you know like it doesn't really include other people and I was able to really shut out all other aspects of life so I feel like being creative is sort of an essential part of me being a five. They're like really intertwined and it's hard to separate them. You brought up a really key piece there. That's another, I think, advantage that we have as fives in the creative process is that once you create something, there's always room for improvement. And if you get attached to the thing, 
you're never going to come back and refine it. Whether it's your process or whether it's a certain thing like you and and so we have a great ability to detach ourselves from anything really like a lot, lots of stuff. So we can emotionally detach ourselves from things. And that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about your creative processes that you can de- emotionally detach yourself from mm. the work that you're doing, from yeah. the piece that you're creating so that you can more objectively evaluate it and improve upon it. And I can see you working on something and taking something that's really rough and refining it. Whereas a lot of people would be uncomfortable with that because they get so attached and it becomes part of their identity, the work that, but your identity is more in the refining and the process. Sure. Yeah. And and definitely I've had to, over the years, I've got more into the co-writing process and loving mm-hmm. to create with other people. And so I've had to refine that in a way that's more sensitive to other people's emotions yeah. because I, I first started doing that and I let people into my space, not the other way around. And to do that, it was very harsh. I remember when we, when I was playing in a band when we were younger and kids, and I remember the, I remember overhearing one of the uh, musicians tell somebody who was coming in for the first time to a rehearsal. I heard overheard them outside the room go all right so cody's really straightforward and he's really sometimes a little harsh you just got to let it roll off because he doesn't mean it he's just saying what he thinks <laughs> and so, and you know exactly what that what i was like back then yeah. well and then and i still do that too. so i had to i had to refine it along the way and i had to learn how to how to work with others that are not the same personality type as me. But I mean, when you get into a room of, you know, me and you as five sitting into like a brainstorming session, you know, nothing is, nothing is off limits. Nothing is out of bounds. There's no like nothing below the belt, you know, it doesn't like there is no below the belt. So I think, and I love that. I love sitting in a room where both people or both parties or whoever's involved understands when an idea is thrown out and it's shot down very harshly, it's not an, it's not against the person it's against the yeah. idea and it's fine. Just it's, shoot out another idea. It's nothing personal. Yeah. Right. And that's cause that's what I do with myself. I've always done that, but I do it now in a way that's not so harsh and not so judgmental even to myself. Cause I was doing that to myself before and I didn't even realize it. And now I'm totally fine with just letting an idea go. If it wasn't something I was wanting to go with that day or whatever, that's fine. It doesn't, it's nothing against the idea. It just didn't work for the moment. And I uh, don't identify with anything that I do creatively. It's just about challenging the process and always being able to being willing to switch it up and make not fully identify with any particular thing and being willing to let things go and move on and know that the process is helping you grow just as much as the end result is. And I think that that's, it's so awesome. It's so fun. I love having that part of my life. It's it being such a healthy part of my life now. And I think mm. that's really important and has helped me in so many ways be able to balance personal life, work life. There's this space in, in the middle of it is just raw creativity and raw energy, actually having an outlet and not being pushed out in other ways where I get irritable or angry for no reason or, you know, feeds into my emotional cycles in other ways. I think that having a healthy outlet for that is really important, but being able to take the narrative, the the bad narrative out and say, this space is a no judgment zone, I guess. And Mm. I think that's just such an important part of it. And I can't emphasize that enough. That's been the most revolutionary part of this whole thing for me. And with this, this podcast and just everything that I'm doing creatively, it's been such a great opportunity for me to re-examine how I look at creativity and how I'm going to use it in my life and 
try not to get bored <laughs> and not try to start hating my life. Cause I mean, as soon as I start tearing things apart and, and getting bored, I want to implode everything and yep. start over, over and over and over again with everything. And that's just not a great place to be. I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to have an existential crisis every other week. I already have that with other for other reasons. I don't want to have it. I don't want to have it because of whatever it is I'm doing and finding meaning. Finding meaning is exhausting. And it's I don't know, in some ways I think it's overrated. I think that what I'm finding in my life now is that I'm starting to find meaning in the things that I didn't expect to find meaning in because I was just being myself and mm -hmm. I was just trying to let that be the narrative to whatever it is I'm doing. And so instead of trying to be this trying to be this full-time musician and this artist that travels and tours. And ha I had this whole idea in my mind of the person that I wanted to grow up to be when I was a kid. And I kept trying to live up to that thing. And I just kept not doing that thing. But what I was doing was I was boxing myself in. I was being hyper-focused on an idea and not thinking outside the box. And so many people throughout my life have tried to tell me to think outside the box and let go of this idea that I had. And I couldn't do it. And so it was something that took me so long to realize that, you know, I get to the end of my life and I find that I, maybe I didn't live up to what I thought I was going to be as a kid, but I grew to be something so much more. And I invested in things that helped me be myself and to share myself with other people and strangers and help them know that they could be themselves. And we create a community together and that's where my creativity was spent. That's fine. That's okay. If this goes nowhere, if this all dies in two weeks, that's okay. At least we had the time that we did, you know? And I think that that's, that's a whole different standard than the unreachable standard that I've tried to live up to my entire life that has completely stifled my creativity for most of my life. Yeah, well said. So I want to put you on the spot and make a little request. Okay. I want to hear the Weatherman song. Right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> live live we're not we don't have ways to make it happen it doesn't have to be perfect <sighs> okay we can cut it out later if you you just want to hear it i just want to hear it okay we'll see what happens so for context on this one uh-huh one of the things we talked about in what episode was that? I don't even remember at this point. I don't remember. Yeah. We talked about you. You used to make videos Videos when you were a kid. Yeah. With my dad's old video camera that you had to put on your entire shoulder <laughs> and use two arms to hold. <laughs> you being a weatherman. Yeah. And I just l absolutely love the mental image of Cody. <laughs> <laughs> to predict the weather. <laughs> little Cody. Oh, little Cody. Yeah. I don't think I can use this before it dies. Oh, yeah. That'll work, I think. All right. We can try this. It's going to sound terrible. I can add the real recording in. That's no fun. That's no fun. You're right. It doesn't want to. It doesn't want to turn. Oh, well. It's going to sound terrible. All right. I was a kid, I wanted to be a weatherman 
Studying clouds, chasing storms across the desert land I'd video myself giving forecasts on the television Woke up every day checking on the weather's condition But I grew up and I lost the focus Dreams die hard and you lose that boldness to be Anything you wanted We can see to the life we think we're given Playing our part like it's already written We give our time to the dreams of those we never knew But on a warm July afternoon I still lay in the grass, watch the clouds roll by See that kid looking up at the sky And I wonder what could have been Whatever happened to that little weatherman Teenage years were all a blur of haze I got into music and forgot about my weather days But that dream didn't turn out how I thought I wanted Music always left me tired and broken hearted But I grew up and I lost the focus Dreams die hard and you lose that boldness to be Anything you wanted We can see to the life we think we're given Playing our part like it's already written We give our time to the dreams of those we never knew But on a cool autumn night in a bar on Southside I remember what it's like to sing sad songs Up on a stage in a microphone And I, I wonder what could have been It's been a while since I thought about that weatherman When I think back to those simple times Dust always seems to get in my eye don't regret the moments where I decided to concede to the life I thought I was given Playing my part like it's already written Give five days a week to the dreams of those I never knew Maybe there's still time to make that dream come true Cause I've learned so much about life and love How to make it work when times get tough And I can't help but wear a goofy grin When I think of all I learned from that little weatherman So what I love about that is that song came 
from you sitting down day after day and saying, I'm just going to create something. I don't know yeah. what it's going to be. I, I'm just working on my process and this is all part of the process and we'll see what comes out. And that came out of it. And it's so you. <laughs> it yeah. is unquestionably Cody. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. And so to bring everything around and mm-hmm. kind of sum it up, I really want us to leave with a question to ponder, maybe a couple here, where what what I want us to ask ourselves is, what do we gain by telling ourselves that it's not worth the effort? Mm. What do we really gain? Is it the safety? Is it the feeling comfortable? Is it the not having to step out and take risks and be vulnerable? Is it the fear, uh, not dealing with the fear of rejection? What is it that we gain by telling ourselves that it's not worth the effort? And on the flip side of that, what do we miss out on when we hold that story and we say everything is meaningless and this isn't worth my time. This isn't worth my energy. It's probably going to fail. There's no way to guarantee that it's going to succeed. Whatever it is, what are we missing out on? What are we missing in the process, in the journey? How is it going? What are we missing in how it impacts who we are and how it impacts the people around us and how it impacts just the creation of the thing of putting something out into the world and being able to say, this is something that I did. Yeah. And this is part of me. This is, this is a reflection of who I am and it stands on its own as me. thing about being a five that helps me be creative is that I'm always analyzing the music I listen to, the art I see, and the books that I read. I think I have good tastes and I'm usually able to tell very quickly if something will be popular or not. My main form of creative expression is music, so when I hear a new song or a style that really captures my ear, it immediately makes me want to get out the sequencer and start making a similar sound. I get the same urge with other mediums too, but then I have the hurdle of learning the medium first. Of course, because I'm a five, before I get around to actually creating the sound, I'm having an argument with myself in my head about how it will never go anywhere. So depending on how healthy I'm feeling that day and what my energy level is. I may win the argument with myself and create the song, or I lose the argument and do something to escape instead. And then I might go into a shame spiral about how I should have created something but didn't. The other downside of being a five is that since I analyze everything and I think I have good taste, the stuff I create is also never up to par with my own standards. And I think too that you know, a lot of a lot of fives. I, I mean, maybe I'm stereotyping here. Um, feel free to you, you jump on the community and tell me that I'm false, because um, I'll listen. But I I think that everybody, to some degree, whether you're a five or not, everybody wants to have that moment, that Bilbo Baggins moment, where someone invites you on an adventure and you say yes. Mm. That Walter Mitty moment, right? Mm. And sometimes. Something as simple as just saying, yeah, I'll do that. I'm terrified of that thing, but I'm going to do that thing is the beginning of an adventure that you very much could have missed out on. And safety doesn't always mean, doesn't all, 
choosing safety over the risk of failure is usually not actually safe. It's just boring. <laughs> yeah. It's an illusion of safety. It's, it's an illusion of safety. It's, it's comfort. It's not safety. It's comfort. Yeah. And I, at this point in my life, I'm ready to, I think I got tired of being comfortable and I decided that I would rather, it took a long time. I had a lot of layers. I had a lot of, I had a lot of religious baggage to go to let go of a lot of things that I had tried to live up to. And when I shed all of that and I got rid of all of that and I had an empty basket that I wanted to put something in, I decided that thing needed to be just full of risk taking and full of adventure and full of the unknown, which is something that makes me, as we've talked about many times, very uncomfortable. But the unknown is where you're going to find yourself and you're going to find a new version of yourself that hopefully that you're proud of. And that when someone asked me when I was younger, what someone asked me a, a question that has stuck with me my entire life. And that question is, where do you see yourself at 50 years old? Where are you? What do you look like? And what are you doing? And the question, the way that I answered the question was, I said, they said, well, what do you look like? And I said, I have a gray beard, a long sleeve shirt on some boots, and I'm around a bunch of mountains <laughs> and I probably have a dog. And they said, okay, what are you doing? And I said, or no, let me put it, let me put it this way. So where are you? Probably near the mountains. So somewhere that's not here. So I've got to leave here eventually to be that person, right? What do you look like? Well, obviously I'm kind of outdoorsy, I guess. I see someone who is kind of mountainy, I guess, mountaineer, outdoorsy, has a dog, whatever, a Jeep, and just is like kind of rugged. Okay, that's not even really how I've been most of my life. <laughs> Why did I see that person? Okay, so I got the where are you? And then the what are you doing was a really cool thing that I never really realized until my adult life because the what are you doing, I answered whatever I want to do. And I didn't realize then how profound that is. Because in order to be in that place, you have to let go of everything else. And to do whatever you want to do and still exist in life means that you have to take risks and you have to take, you have to jump in and say, I'm going to go on this adventure. And so hmm. <laughs> where do I end up? The Pacific Northwest? Do I end up in, a, in Germany? Who knows where I'm going to end up? But to this day, I still see that same person at 50 years old. And that's now it's only less than 20 years away. So what am I going to do in the next 15, 20 years? It's going to get me to a place that's not even remotely who I thought I was when I was a kid, but is still to this day, something that is somebody that I want to be. It's somebody that when I see that person in my mind, I see that person who has taken risks and has weathered the storm and has done things that I never thought I would ever do and lives a life that I never thought I would live. And yeah, to some degree, it's a little bit of a Walter Mitty life, but like, Maybe there's other people in that life. Maybe there's other things in that life that I didn't expect or didn't know that got me there. And all of those things means taking risks and all of those things means not staying comfortable. And so I don't think that you're going to find safety in not doing the things. I think you're going to find safety in the people you surround yourself with and in the, the way in, and, and at the end of the day, you're proud of yourself and you're proud of the things that you did. That's where the safety comes from. It's not from not doing the things it's from doing the things and finding out that it's actually okay that you did the things. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I think that's a wrap. All right. Cool. 
it's Josiah, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you're the type of person who likes helping others, would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us in this episode. If anything in this conversation has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com.